0: Hey everyone, it's Chris. Just wanted to drop in and wish you all, hope you all are having a great summer, hope you all are doing well. I also wanted to uh, just thank everyone. The amount of thank you notes that are coming in, the stories that I'm hearing about people that are taking this information Implementing it at their company, implementing it to build their own company, getting promoted, all those things uh, just give me the energy to keep doing this. And uh, so really appreciate all of the feedback. A couple of quick announcements. The first one is that Refine Labs is evolving. Over the past 12 months, we have developed tons of different intellectual property, how we think about attribution, how we actually roll that out into a Salesforce instance, the pipe demand data standards that we're developing that allows companies to compare their data across Salesforce instances and tons of other different innovations, frameworks, processes, benchmarks that we get through operating at more than 50 companies at scale simultaneously. You just get a much different flywheel when it comes to innovation and formalization and seeing patterns and trends. We're going to spin out that company, which would then allow companies to come and work with us and get access to experts, as well as all these different frameworks, benchmarks, processes that you can then use. We actually have more than 50 companies in there in a private beta right now. And if you are interested in getting in that, please feel free to, to go to the link refinelabs.com slash waitlist and then there's a how did you hear about us if you write in the how did you hear about us podcast episode 312 then we will bump you all the way up to the front of the line the next one is that um, we have launched an entirely new pricing and packaging offering at refine labs and how we actually partner with companies and so I'd encourage you to check that out. One of the main misconceptions is that you need to be spending a lot of money on ads in, in order to work with Refine Labs, but that's actually not true. We now have offers where companies that spend zero dollars in ads get the the expertise of demand, planning, revenue analysis, insights that then guide your team through strategy and be able to provide really clear confidence at the executive level. So if you're interested in that, that's refinelabscom slash pricing. Feel free to check that out. And then the last one is that... Um, i think a lot of people that are listening to this podcast have have uh, noticed my uh, increasing sort of thinking around creative and so we've actually we've built a large team here we have a 40 person creative team that does some of the best work in the industry and now we're going to open up and offer custom creative work so logos brand guidelines websites category positioning like tons of different interesting things so if you need a creative shop then uh, feel free to reach out and we will put together a custom package for you. Now we're about to get into this episode and this episode is marked as a must listen for a reason. There are tons of great pieces in here with new concepts. And We were talking through lead gen or demand gen and I was defining these things and I realized that these are both like intermediate sections, right? And so I said, we gotta stop using these terms and we gotta think about this like manufacturing revenue. We have to look at it across the entire system. We have to look at it holistically and in generally just the way that it's executed and the way that it's measured has room for improvement. And then lastly, at the end, there's a 10 minute section when I t- how I talk about marketing measurement. And if, if you're trying to get your company on board with changing how you measure marketing, that is the clip to send to your CFO or your CRO or your CEO. It literally breaks down in the most logical way. I've explained it exactly why this needs to change and how it actually changes. So some people have seen my view as Polarizing in terms of attribution. That's not at all what I'm saying. I'm trying to point out the flaws in how companies currently do attribution. And then I'm saying you can keep doing that because most companies do that to measure capturing demand and they do it great. But now we need to think about how we're going to measure creating demand. Without further ado, again, I appreciate all of you. Appreciate you listening. Hope you have a great weekend and uh, enjoy the episode. From Refine Labs, this is State of Demand Gen.
1: with the first question i'm asking everyone which is what's your definition of success and that's about life not b2b marketing just what's your definition of success in life in general
0: i think a good definition of success is waking up every day and being able to do whatever you want and being fulfilled in whatever that is so there's a level of there's a level of uh, freedom and autonomy. There's a level of and it's, it's, it's different for every individual. For me recently, what I'm finding is that like, the thing that I really need is this ability to be creative and innovate. And so to me, being able to wake up and be able to move fast and innovate and inspire people and listen to what customers need and do new things, like in terms of business, that's really like the, the core of what I need to feel sort of success or successful. Um and then over time as I've started to evolve in my career, there's a whole other element of like everything that's outside of work. You know, what does that look like? How what is is there what's the balance or equilibrium for each individual person? And it's different for people as time goes on. And so um I think that uh to put it simply, success is being able to wake up and do whatever you want that's fulfilling for you.
1: And you defined the business side of it very clearly. What about the rest? For you specifically, what is your definition of success for you, not for for everybody else, outside business?
0: I think there's a level of um, happiness and fulfillment and confidence and security. And so those are some of the the elements and ideas that I uh, come up with off the cuff in terms of what success looks like everywhere. Um, I think that there's a huge element of freedom and I think that freedom is often misunderstood. I think as an employee, when I was like early twenties, I didn't feel free. But the truth is that we all, no matter what situation we're in, regardless of anything that we all are actually, you know, unless you're in some other country where it's like, not like that. But in the U S like freedom is a mindset and that's something that I've been trying to really grow and evolve in, in my own life.
1: Okay. Okay. Now let's go back to business, (laughs) Uh, and to be more precise, let's go back to B2B mostly focused business. Um, Let's start with something that I saw on your website, which is how are buyers buying today? You write there that it's social, it's communities, it's word of mouth. Let's dive into that
0: that's how b2b buyers are buying today and to be 100 percent honest that's how b2b buyers were buying in 2017 too when i was doing this stuff right so just the fact that more people are recognizing that this is happening now is basically the only difference but the effect of how buyers buy has been very consistent for the past five years i figured this out when our when we were going out we were targeting hospitals and we surveyed people and the people said before i ever talk to your sales team i want to read all the clinical data i want to research online I wanna to talk to a peer that I trust that's at another facility that uses your product, right? And there, are, there was physician groups, there was physician podcasts and different things like that where people would get all of that information away from vendors in order to inform their business priorities and their purchase decisions and how they practice medicine. And so that effect is, is consistent across every single dynamic and demographic, CFOs, CISOs, marketing managers, sales professionals, CEOs across the board, people are doing these things where they do them it might be a little bit different, right? It might be Reddit, or it could be Twitter, or it could be a private community, or it could be their VC group, or it could be text messaging with three of their CMOs that they've you know, come up in their career with and they really trust. All of those different scenarios are viewed and categorized as what we're calling dark social and a dark social is a broad definition because the idea is that there are tons of different things and there are new things emerging almost every month or every year that are new outlets for for business professionals to communicate and share ideas and priorities and so the idea of dark social just to define it for everyone dark meaning that it doesn't get tracked by attribution software and doesn't create intent data because those platforms have privacy policies that restrict that from sharing the data and then social which is scaled word of mouth created through the internet so dark social word of mouth channels that have been scaled through the internet where b2b buyers set priorities discover information evaluate products validate decisions that don't get tracked by attribution software and don't create intent data and this is a entirely new phenomenon to b2b marketing over the past i mean it's been developing for the past five years it's very extreme post-covid world as more people moved online this has been shifting even more and it leaves b2b marketing strategies completely up in the air and not being effective in terms of how they think about measuring marketing what technology and tools they use the old outdated thinking that comes from like web 1.0 conversion rate optimization seo google ads just not recognizing how different the world is and how different things that people use in order to make buying decisions and i just think that like i'm trying to communicate this to people because i think it's the biggest opportunity as a marketer ever the biggest opportunity in b2b marketing ever is the fact that b2b marketers now don't need to wait for the conference in October to go and see their customers. They don't need to beg the sales team or the CSM team to introduce them to a customer so they can go and visit them. They don't need to take five months and then go and execute a market research survey with a firm in order to do that. They can go out using digital channels to engage with their direct target customers on their own to drive demand for the business and make a tremendous business impact arguably the most important thing in in business today outside of the quality of your product is being able to create net new demand for your category the reality is that how this whole how the b2b ecosystem has been set up in terms of how they measure and how they think has been all skewed to capturing demand which is basically sales Um, and i'd be happy to talk through sort of the differences there because i think that that the foundations of creating demand capturing demand damning demand are going to be really interesting for people but yeah that's that's this is an effect that I've been seeing for the past five years and just continues to get more and more prominent and more and more recognized by people of it actually happening.
1: Before we dive deep into the the details, um, I would like to focus on the problem. You mentioned the old B2B marketing strategies and outdated Web 1.0, conversion rate optimization, SEO, Google AdWords. Let's dive into that problem, like let's kind of analyze it a little bit to understand why is it a problem, why it doesn't doesn't work and how what you're talking about works better and why does it work better. But let's focus on what it is, the old marketing, B2B marketing strategy, and why it doesn't work anymore.
0: For those of the people that have been a B2B marketer for a long time, I've been a B2B marketer for 10 years now. And for those of you that remember back in 2012 to 2015 timeframe, your job as a marketer was basically to enable the sales team, right? It was like more or less without with no disrespect, because I did it too, that your job was to be the sales team's assistant. Hey, we need this brochure. Hey, can you come and help me with this meeting because this per, this physician know like un- wants to know this and i don't really understand it that well i need an expert hey can you send out an email blast hey can we go and get like can we do a webinar and get some leads like basically just taking orders from the sales team that has been a mindset ingrained in b2b companies for the sole purpose that back in that time sales was actually the appropriate party to create demand because of how buyers bought at that time. There was not pricing information available. There were not review sites. They did not have access to peers and communities. Most B2B professionals were not prominently using social networks in 2013 to engage with their peers. B2B vendors digital presence was nowhere near as large. They weren't putting out content. They didn't have robust websites. They didn't enable their buyers. And so buyers that needed a solution actually were forced to buy through a sales professional. Now, given how much has changed, that that whole idea has completely flipped, but B2B companies still think about marketing in the same way, that our marketing team is here to serve our sales team. We need leads, which which is email addresses. We need email addresses. We need phone numbers, not recognizing that now there are contact databases where you can go and buy that. The sales team could buy that phone number for 41 cents. Or even better, your RevOps team could serve up all of the accounts that have been in market to buy from you and serve you the contacts. And you could actually call people that have shown marginal interest in being in market. So a.k.a doing sales, which would then allow your marketing team to stop being sales team's assistant and stop focusing on generating contact information like it was 2013 still and focus on how do we execute digitally to educate our entire market and drive demand for our category? How do we get buyers? Whether you're a disruptive technology, whether you're a key player, it doesn't matter. How do you get buyers that are not currently thinking about the business problems that we solve or about the opportunities that they could unlock by partnering or using us? And how do we get those buyers engaged in the message, seeing the vision, believing in those problems, can can uh, consulting their peers to understand who else is using this? What are their successes been? Let that dark social journey be be happening marketing's real job is to start the dark social process to be the trigger and the guide through that process that is the key missing piece in b2b strategies right now that they're all sitting down waiting to do sales and what they need to figure out is how do we get more people to actually want to talk to our sales team
1: i hear everything i would like to make it more practical for some people because you started talking about leads which Many people compare lead generation with demand generation, and we both know that it's not even in the same, uh, well, maybe it's in the same place, area, but it's not the same thing. So let's kind of simplify why demand generation is not lead generation, because I think we agree on that. I don't think you will tell me that it's the same. And because from, from what i heard you saying, the old mindset essentially is focused still on the lead generation, let's give the leads to the sales team from marketing and then, you know, hope that they will overcome the objections which will be way more if you don't go through the content, if you don't go through the modern way of doing things. So let's talk about the generation versus demand generation and how those two are different and. Which one is better in your opinion? Yeah,
0: I mean, we're happy to talk through both of those different things. And I think that both of them have varying definitions based on how, like, I don't think that many people would define them the same as me or the same as their peers because they're very misunderstood broadly terms. The second thing is that they're both focused on an intermediate outcome, whether it's driving in demand generation, the way that I think about it, it's going to be different than how other people think about it is that we're trying to create a desire in our target customers to use our product or to see the vision of where our company sees the world going. The key part in demand is create a desire, right?
1: And by the way, just just a a short point before you continue, that for me is marketing, that for me is not sales.
0: Mm -hmm. But yeah, exactly and then on the lead generation side it's very focused on getting a quote-unquote lead in which in the modern world or the digital days is we want to get a phone number and a contact regardless of the level of intent that they have to buy which is the problem with the entire thing of lead generation and so when you look at these two things demand is creating the desire lead gen is the outcome of generating demand, but a lot of people use lead gen without the demand part and then just shortcut it and collect people for email addresses and phone numbers of people that don't wanna buy. And I wanna suggest, and something that I wanna suggest people think about differently, instead of thinking about it as demand generation or lead generation, it's time to start thinking about it as manufacturing revenue. How, does our, how do we transition our marketing team or our, our entire revenue team To look at this entire system and process like it was a manufacturing facility, distill it down to a science, figure out how the pieces work, and manufacture revenue. And that's, I think, like... I don't know, like I sort of at this point sort of categorize myself as a marketer, salesperson, operations person, a business person, right? And the idea of how businesses have siloed their teams and how they think about it very much like an assembly line, They they don't often look at it as a holistic picture. Even RevOps is siloed, right? So if you have a RevOps team, they're like only looking at sales ops and they're trying to figure out how do we get our contracts better? How do we like train our team? How do we go and get Challenger to come in here and do some training? not looking at the fact that the reason that your sales team is not being successful is because the the people that you're feeding to them and the people that they're talking to don't have a desire to buy yet you know what i mean and so if you looked at this holistic if you looked at this holistically you'd be like our core issue is that we don't do market i don't even want to call it market anymore. we don't create demand effectively in the market right marketing could do it sdrs could feasibly do it sales team could do it your ceo could do it your customer success team could do it Pretty much anyone in your business could do it. But the fact of the matter is that no one in the company is focused on creating demand because of how the metrics are set up in companies. So everyone is incentivized to either do nothing or to look at the lower the most low funnel things that are easiest to track, which is tracking the buyers that are in market. And so you just get a you know, I would say it's less than one percent of buyers. You even get a shot at when you're looking at that very small view. And the way that you unlock that is by getting marketing to really, or business generally to really get out there and figure out how do we create demand in order to do that, companies need to change how they, how they measure the effectiveness of their revenue system. Because the reality is the reality is that in like in our business, we have CMOs of thousand person companies coming inbound to buy from us, asking for a consultation with our sales team, unprompted saying that they heard about us from one of the people on our team posting on LinkedIn. You want to know how you, you incentivize quote-unquote employee advocacy, social selling, things like that. Figure out how to measure it appropriately so the people that are actually driving the impact see that it's happening. We don't comp those people. We don't, there's nothing along with that, but they, they, they see the efforts and they know that it's, being, that it's working for the business and they know that it's helping them. And there's plenty of people out there that are working at companies that are posting on LinkedIn or doing a podcast or things like that, they're driving tons of net new business for the company and the company doesn't realize it. So um, in t- it's because uh, it's because if they measured it the right way, they would by design value it more because they would see what's actually happening. But because they don't, they don't have the, the measurement, they don't have the value. Mm-hmm.
1: We will talk about how to measure because I think that's one of the least discussed things that can change a lot of things, and it's like the it's it's like on the background, and if you actually use it, it can change a lot of things without a lot of uh, effort, as long as you once you set it up. But before we go there, you mentioned about essentially low quality leads um, and how what you call demand generation. Uh, I think one of the problems it's solving is it's increasing the quality of the leads um can we talk about the like can we simplify what demand generation does like why is the quality of the lead higher when we have demand gen instead of lead gen
0: because the goal is to manufacture revenue not to get contacts for your sales team to call it's sort of like let me let me put it this way Um, In a traditional lead gen function, if you go into a well-funded, you know, later stage B2B software company, like, uh, gosh, like pretty much anyone, I don't want to say any names, but like you go into one of those companies and you look at their lead gen programs and how they run content syndication, they run paid social and they collect 50,000 email addresses, they run Google ads and collect trash. Like there's a lot of symptoms here because they need to go out and get 150,000 leads in the year to go and say that marketing did something. Now, the way that you control for that, if you were a business leader or a revenue leader, is that you create a quality control metric on the lead. Just like if you were a manufacturing facility, think about this like your manufacturing revenue and you're, ma- you're a manufacturing facility and you got your suppliers bringing in your parts and some people are bringing in plastics and some people are bringing in boxes and some people are bringing all this stuff and then your job is you have to go and manufacture something and one of your suppliers is bringing stuff in and everything everyone they give you is faulty, it doesn't work. Do you have people on the lines that you're paying, hour- you're paying hourly to sit there and just throw away junk because it doesn't meet the specifications and that's what businesses do with with lead gen and so it like in a manufacturing facility you'd easily look at that and you'd say this supplier is not good we need to go and find a new supplier because we're wasting our fucking people's time and the fact of the matter is that b2b companies don't do that because they don't understand the hidden costs of how much time is wasted from people following up with these these people there's the whole cost of actually running the programs right you need marketers to to go and do this you probably use agencies you probably spend hundreds of thousands of dollars on media those are the the hard costs then look at you got 50 sdrs that are wasting their time not driving revenue you have sales teams sitting going and doing demos for people that don't want to buy that sdrs got on there because they got comped on the meeting you got your entire business running a very inefficient system and it causes tons of uh, opportunity costs and, and uh, uh, hidden costs. And so that's that's a really good way to look at it. And so if you did, if you looked at this like a manufacturing facility, what you would do is you would say if these leads in quotes for the listeners, if these leads don't convert to a qualified meeting or to qualified pipeline at a certain rate, then we're not going to consider it a lead anymore. It's going to, it's not going to, it's not, it doesn't hit the quality. We're going to reject the supplier and we're going to focus on the right things. And that's going to force our marketing team or our teams that are responsible for creating demand to deliver stuff that aligns with our sales team's outcomes. And so we've done as a business at Refine Labs, we've innovated and created something that we're calling the pipe demand data standards, which basically standardizes different parts of the funnel using. Win rate metrics align with sales based on the pipeline sources and the lead sources of where they're coming from, which allows companies to finally see the effect that I've been seeing in more than 100 Salesforce instances over the past three years, which is the fact that most companies get a majority of their revenue, 80% or more of their revenue that gets attributed to marketing comes from a very small pool of their leads, which is 2 to 5%, and the other 95% is just noise and wasted money and time.
1: I want to highlight two things that came to my mind. Uh, when people waste time, like the SDRs, for example, talking to low-quality leads, it's, they're wasting time. They don't even talk
0: to them, by the way. You know what I mean? They don't even, no, they don't even get yeah, responses. They, they yeah, don't even show up. But, but yes. when they show up,
1: <laughs> it's, it's a wasted time. One thing is that you wasted the SDRs' time, and it's like you know you pay them. The other thing is the morale of the SDRs, uh like job you were saying at the beginning of this call that you want the person like you define success as somebody who wakes up and does something that they enjoy and they feel fulfilled and i don't think the sdr's dream job was to talk to people that are not interested uh, and try to to convince them to to buy something um before we move on and i want to go to this attribution stuff that you're talking because i think it's a very good um next uh, step I want to completely, like, or even overly simplify if we have to, the, like, where are these, let's say, low quality leads come in the whole degeneration approach? I have some things in my mind, uh, but I I kind of want to ask you. And like, where are they coming from? And can you give examples? I would like to hear some examples of, okay, they're coming from here and they're low quality because of these things. Versus in the demand generation uh, approach, they are coming from here and they're higher quality because the, I don't know, the format is different, the place is different, the approach is different, maybe the content is different, whatever, uh,
0: however you want to answer this question. The core difference is whether you're going to the buyer and saying, come have a meeting with us, can you have a meeting with us, can you fill out this form? Or if the buyer's coming to you and saying, I would love to talk to your sales team, that's about as simple as it gets. And the reality is that most companies are going out to try and get them because they can't pull buyers in. Companies go to market instead of making the market come to them. And that's the core difference in why there are very like big companies win Nike, Apple, things like that, because you get the market to come to you. And I think that just because of how B2B companies have built, you know, large sales teams, feet on the street is how you win. It's the same, it was the same thing in retail in the eight, like seventies, eighties, nineties, too. It's how Walmart got got so big, is that the sheer infrastructure created a competitive advantage. That competitive advantage is not as powerful as it used to be, whether you have a hundred different Walmart stores as distribution. If you're a retailer and you're in there, now you can just sell at e com and you could probably you might be able to sell more than at Walmart. And the same thing goes for B2B companies. You can have 100 salespeople out there pounding the phones, feet on the street, whatever you wanna call it. But if you aren't generating the demand for the market so that the market wants to come to you, your sales team's gonna be very unproductive. This is what happens. Sales team is unproductive. A lot of sales teams don't hit quota. You have low overall morale. People are starting to bl- you know, blaming marketing about why they're not hitting their targets. Executives don't have confidence about whether marketing can actually deliver. They invest more in marketing. They don't see the returns. They don't have confidence in what's working or what's not. These are the systemic problems that are happening in B2B companies. And the reality is that they if you looked at it as a way of manufacturing revenue and you stopped looking at it about sales and marketing and you started looking at it about creating demand and capturing demand, what you would realize is that your business spends 99% of their money on capturing demand. If you combine sales as a capture demand function, Google ads is a capture demand function. SEO is a capture demand function lead generation is a capture demand function that gets confused with a create demand function, but it's actually sales. Like if you, if you just assess the budget allocation and companies looked at it it, like transparently and honestly and objectively for their own, they would realize that they spend almost no money creating demand. And the things that they do spend there are throwaways are things that they don't try to measure that they chalk up to brand. That the CEO loves being at the, at the booth of the conference they've been going to for the past nine years, so they keep spending a quarter million dollars to build the booth, regardless of the outcomes. It's just that stuff. And I'm challenging people to, to just see, if we looked at this differently, we would realize that creating demand is the gap. We have a gap in that we're creating demand, which means that we need to measure differently. We need to budget appro- differently and appropriately. We need to think about this differently. And then we're going to start to move resources over here to get, and get the flow of buyers coming to us so our sales team can be more productive. We have more people hitting quota, we have higher efficiencies, all these different things. And there's no, there's, there, I, I come into this with no like disrespect or ill intent because I know that company, it's, imp- you're a growth company, you can't change this on the fly you you have to you can't just be like okay like we're gonna stop spending all our money and capturing demand so because we're gonna go out and create it in an unproven go-to-market motion companies can't do that so what the reality is is they keep spending harder and harder on capturing demand because that's the only way that they've proven that they that can get it to work and it's very expensive cost of acquisitions going up and companies are going to get put in a spot where their customer acquisition cost gets too high and their growth rate slows down and they get in a lot of trouble if they keep doing this and so just trying to help people, help people acknowledge that if you look at this differently, and I love, I love looking at it between capturing demand and creating demand, instead of marketing and sales, it takes all the emotion out of it that people traditionally have. And then you look at it as what is the goal that we're trying to accomplish with our customer, as opposed to did sales or marketing source that deal?
1: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I'll try to simplify a lot of the things you say and correct me if I'm wrong or, you know, tweak it. Because it's, it's, kind of, it's not going kind to of be easy, you know? You said a lot of amazing things. But the way I hear G- demand generation is more around desire and interest generation because I see, again, correct me if I'm wrong, I see what you're saying as most of the effort and money and time and everything goes towards essentially lead gen, like getting the contact, getting like, just trying to create awareness and then capture that immediately. What you're saying essentially is you want to spend way more of your budget into creating interest and desire, which maybe is under the word demand that you're using. So like if, if demand generation would be called creating interest and desire, um, I think it would be more simple for people to understand. Is Am I, am I accurate? I,
0: I feel like we should consider not using either of the terms. Not using lead generation and not using demand generation, and really looking at it: Are we capturing demand or creating demand? And then it becomes it becomes uh, I think a lot more simple for people. And then creating demand is the interest, desire, you know. And then what's the trigger for a buyer that then moves from I have interest to I want to buy? And companies continue to try to artificially accelerate that process by injecting sales too early. And what you you know you can win some deals that way, and companies do. But the thing is that you typically interrupt a buying process, you waste time and you potentially lose deals that you could have won because they're not ready to buy because they haven't prioritized the business problem because they haven't got their team on board because they don't have the budget allocated because the executives at their company don't have the incentive or the motivation to actually solve this right now they don't consider it the major business problem and so you just have your sales team going through a 90-day sales cycle with people that aren't going to buy you got inflated pipeline in your crm that you're not going to win let's talk
1: about creating demand uh chris you mentioned already a few things about desire and interest creation let's make it a little bit simple for somebody like that they can hear what you're going to say and then take that and be like okay So if I need to create interest, maybe I'll create content. If I need to create desire, maybe I'll create this kind of content. What else is there? What is, what else is the practical, um, steps in the creating demand, um, column let's, let's call it like that.
0: It's all content driven, but the thing that people need to recognize is that there's a huge element of strategy that comes first. Who are our target customers? A ton of SaaS companies don't have that figured out and they go too broad with a vanilla message. Who are our target customers and why do we win there? What is our unique point of view about where the world is going and how do we get people to prioritize the problem that we solve in our business right now? You know what I mean? And there's just like there's a there's a lot of companies that have messaging that just don't drive urgency. And so there's there's that component. It's what do our happiest customers say? What are our biggest detractors say about and what do they use instead to solve this business problem where they just don't think it's important? Getting a lot of these different views allow you to focus in on what should the content actually be about? Because our goal is, this is psychology 101. You're taking someone that doesn't understand a concept and you're trying to get them to be engaged and then to intake the information and understand it to a level where they do. And if you're a B2B company and you sell a product that have a lot of happy customers and you can identify why are those people happy and where are more of them then you shouldn't have to trick people by giving them a 200 dollars gift card to sit on your demo you shouldn't have to trick them by having them fill out a form on some third-party website so that you can cold email them you shouldn't have to do this stuff you should be able to communicate your point of view in an objective way educate people on why they should consider it and then let the chips fall And that and then if you're not educating them properly like marketing is just is what you do in a sales conversation at scale creating demand is that just that at scale and so instead of doing it one-on-one in a very inefficient analog way you're doing it digitally first at scale in the way that aligns how buyers want to research today and so it's just like uh, another thing i loved when I was an in-house marketer going and sitting on going field rides with our sales team and going to drive to a hospital and go to a sales call. What, if, what does a first call, sales call look like? What does the closing call look like? Like, what are those? How do those things work? What are the customers saying? What are the objections? All those different things. And that that allows me to go and take that information that Johnny in the San Diego territory was working on. I can go and take that. And instead of just giving it to Rady Children's Hospital, I can give it to every hospital in the country at at scale at once. So I think that there's just a, there's an element of efficiency, like some companies are complaining about like, you know, whatever the the rising cost of ads or the rising cost of any, you know, anything. And then you're like, did you, you, do you know how much it costs you like overall for your salesperson to do a 30 minute demo? It's not just the salesperson's cost. It's not just their benefits or their raw labor. It's the SDR that had to get the person there. It's the blended marketing costs across all the meetings that you set in order to get there. You're talking five to $10,000 for that meeting usually. And you could, and then you could go and take that. And instead of having one salesperson communicate that one message that cost you five or $10,000, you could take marketing dollars educate take those things create it into content run it against the entire account or the entire market however you want to however you want to do it at a fraction of the cost in a much more highly effective and scalable way and so it's just it's it's just rebalancing it's just and then there's a there's an element of you got to figure out like there's a there's a uh a saying that goes i think it's from tom goodwin that was like the heat basically the heathrow airport is like Messed up. I don't know. When I fly through it, I think it's fine, but apparently it's messed up, but you can't just shut down the Heathrow airport. People need to fly through there. So what you have to do is you actually to go build another airport while this one is maintaining and then you have to transition it over. And so what companies should do is they should figure out we got to figure out how to build the next airport that works in the 20 in the decade of 2020s. And then once we build that, then we can think about how we slow down the flights that are coming into our first airport in Heathrow. And then we can start to rebalance, but you can't you can't stop the flights until you have an, another place for the planes to land.
1: Now that we are thinking about this as demand uh, demand creation and demand capture, actually, let's go a little bit deeper into deba- demand capture before I go to the to the next place. So, I think it's pretty straightforward now how we create demand.
0: I'll succinctly do it right here. Getting. Uh, your target customers who do not have an interest that have not shown intent in buying and getting them to a level where they have intent to buy
1: okay that's that's actually a very good uh, simplification of it um now that they're interested because of all of those things now that they they want to find out more we're talking about again what you've mentioned before of like pulling them instead of pushing or like getting after them they're coming to you let's talk about how do you go about capturing that demand? Maybe with some examples as well.
0: Totally, so um, to fully fit into the definition, it's when buyers show intent to buy, your goal is to capture them and convert them into revenue, right? And so there's there's an element here when you get into this, like especially with enterprise sales teams and B2B companies, or maybe you have a PLG and you have a sales motion, that you actually have a digital version of capturing demand and you have an analog version of capturing demand. And I'm intentionally staying away from the sales and marketing thing just to explain this, which is that there's a digital version where there's buyers looking on the internet, where currently your marketing team focuses on capturing them through channels like Google Search, paid or organic. They come you know, to your website through direct traffic. They find you through LinkedIn, click on your profile, company profile, click on your website, fill out a form, something like that. There's a way where buyers are looking online, where they're demonstrating intent and they go to certain places when they have intent to buy. And then your job is to capture them, whether they're looking for your company or they're looking for your category, or they're looking for a parallel category that you could upend or disrupt or replace. Your job is to get them to recognize that you're the solution and get them in. There's also an analog part of this process when you have an enterprise sales team, which is that once. You actually get them in. Maybe you don't have an e commerce transaction, you don't have a PLG free trial motion, or you don't, you know, something like that, where then there's a handoff between the digital version where the buyer says, I am looking to buy this stuff right now. And then you pass it to the salesperson, and sales is a capture demand function. And then the salesperson will go through a sales process in order to sell it. And in that side, the stream of those people with intent could come from a digital channel, like the ones that I just mentioned, right? So it could come through a digital channel, go to the salesperson. You could get it through intent data. Then the salesperson actually makes the call or it comes through an SDR. You could get sourced through maybe sales goes to an event. they set up a little table and some people fill out. And then some people get there for sales in another analog way, Partner networks that get passed to sale, you know, referred to sales. You got all these different sources. Of information. Um, and then it's just like whether or not you're able to convert them. So you got a digital version, which is typically like it's viewed as marketing right now, but it's really digital sales. Like running Google search is sales, not marketing. Um, and then you have an analog version, which is that the salesperson is also trying to capture demand simultaneously. And so just the way that it funnels in most B2B companies is it's linear, like it goes from digital to sales, but it really should be looked at as one specific thing where digital is one input to capture demand, but you also use other ones to capture demand as well. And when you look at it that way, if you say, okay, we have this version coming from high intent website conversions, which we call pipe, pipe conversions. We have our events. We have our low, low intent MQL model where we're getting content syndication and blah, blah, blah. We have our partner network. And then you look at all those different sources individually and you say which ones are contributing high efficiency revenue for our business and you look at that objectively and then you plan your budget and your allocation and your strategy around what is capturing the demand also considering that you need to create demand strategy and budget allocation there so it's like it's just being a little bit companies are just looking at this like sales and marketing just being a little bit more thoughtful on what are the actual goals of these functions today And trying to redefine and redraw the lines of where, where the function plays, or even think like thinking about them less as a function, I think is really the take. It's been weird. I haven't talked about this before, um, on a podcast before, but I, I love the idea of sort of stripping out this idea of sales and marketing and looking at it in a different way. It causes a ton of friction and it's not helpful for businesses anymore. And so I think that there, and if you did that, then like. You'd look at it differently. Your sales team would be in the capture demand bucket. I would argue the SDRs belong in that, in the capture demand bucket. You got digital salespeople that work, currently work on your marketing team that would be in the capture demand bucket. And you gotta have create demand people. You gotta have people that have subject matter expertise, that have credibility with your buyers, that understand social, that are involved in communities, that can put on incredible events, that can do things with the right intent. They know their place in the revenue system and they do it with the right intent based on where they are right? Because companies just look at it as one thing. Everyone's in sales mode and all your buyers know it.
1: So, so far, Chris, you have been talking about all of these things from our point of view, from the point of view of the CEO, the the salesperson, the marketer, whoever is responsible for that. Meaning we look at it, let's say from the final perspective, from the capture uh, demand and create demand. Can you walk me through how does this look like from the customer journey like you're the customer make up an example whatever you want and you go through this customer journey and you're like okay here is the creating demand here is the capture demand side of things
0: i'll cover two different examples the first one is that um they there's a cmo that is currently a refine labs customer three years ago they weren't i was just I was starting to post content on LinkedIn. People were starting to get to know me. My business was just initially growing. And um, they started listening to the podcast in 2020. They started listening to the podcast and they went on and they, they, you know, sent me some messages. We built a friendly relationship. We saw each other in communities. They engaged with the content. And almost two years went by where they didn't buy anything. And then the trigger happened, which is typically not controlled by the business or not controlled by you. It's controlled by your customer. The trigger happened, which is that the CMO left the 10,000 person company in EMEA and joined the 300 person startup in New York City. And then that was the trigger that said, okay, now it's time to hire Refine Labs. And when she did that, she didn't go and search in Google. I need a, some team to help me grow my company she sent me a DM and we talked and that's what happened. And so that's, that's how things really work. And if you actually create demand, the idea is that whenever the buyer has the trigger, which is typically in their control, whenever the buyer has the trigger, they just choose you. They don't even evaluate other products or companies. Just like how when some people walk into a convenience store, they only buy Coca-Cola or other things. It's the exact. It's the exact same way to look at it, um, and so the key is that the buyer understands the category of what your business does, just understands the differences about what it what it does, buys into the vision, and then from there you have to wait for that business to have the right appropriate dynamics in order to bring in your company. Especially if you're selling enterprise six or seven eight figure deals, the fact of the matter is that like there's a lot of stuff that goes on that never gets measured never gets chalked up and is incredibly impactful and so like the the idea as a company and how marketers have been trained to try and track every single touch point which is by the way definitely not possible and the most impactful touch points are typically the ones that never get measured by your software or the tools that you're using that are trying to measure all these different things and they get caught in all these details not realizing the bigger picture And the bigger picture is that we need the buyer to be engaged because what we're doing, what we're providing to them is valuable over a long period of time, which aligns with our business objectives. And so, um, you know, I could make up some example of like the person they were in, they saw us on LinkedIn and they joined this community and then they started following our team and then they saw, you know, they came to our event with Dave Gerhard and you can just make up all this stuff. But the reality is that it's the accumulation of all those different things. And it's gonna be a bit different for every single buyer in every single instance. And so the key is to, like, I try to communicate to people is have the right intent. If I was doing our live event that I did, did for two years, Demand Gen Live, and then all of a sudden one year in, you know what I mean? Like hundreds of people are coming to our events, tens of thousands of people are listening to the podcast. And my intent changes, which is I'm going to like if that happened where I stopped helping people for free, by the way, providing free detailed consulting that some companies pay tens of thousands of dollars for the exact same hour and change that. And I start going into sales mode and promotion mode. How quickly would it be that all those people that used to trust me, that used to listen to me, that used to think I was credible, that used to want to work with our business eventually. Start to tune you out, start to not trust you, start to not think that you're credible there's I think a lot more of an element of a mindset that that when we create demand that we need to work toward because people always see it as a lead in into sales, not respecting how buyer you know how buyers actually progress through their process. Another thing on this whole topic of like ABM only target your top 100 accounts, blah, 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 blah with how much people are moving jobs today. How in the world is that a good strategy? How in the world is that a good strategy to net? If you're going after, so you can sell to, to sales professionals. And you happen to have a target customer base that you've subjectively decided is only a thousand accounts that you're only going to market to those thousand accounts, not knowing that there's going to be influxes of hundreds of marketers in and out of those companies every single year. And wouldn't you rather own I sorry, I said marketers I meant salespeople in the example, but wouldn't you rather own the space of sales than just try to sell to a thousand accounts? Well, it's a lot harder, right? I, I don't think that it's harder. I think that it's different. I think that it's, it's n- what companies are not accustomed to doing. I would actually say that it's easier to do it than to try and pound the phones and, and be in friction with how buyers want to buy today and annoy your target customers. If you only have a thousand accounts and you're running heavy outbound, you're fucking annoying people every day. But, but the
1: day-to-day of it... Uh, is like I know this
0: it's, it's nothing new it's, it's safe, it's yeah. accepted It's, and that's the rationale of why people keep doing things and when companies keep doing the stuff that they've always been doing because it's safe and easy and they have a system for it and things like that That's the perfect time for a small company that thinks differently, to be progressive, to go and eat their lunch. And I for the companies that aren't evolving here, I hope that I hope that happens to you because I've been talking about this for three (laughs) years. And if you're if you're if you're still not making progress on this, then you deserve to lose.
1: Yeah. Meritocracy, man. That's that's how it works. Um, I'm going to throw you a little curveball here. Um, we've been having up this whole creating demand and capturing demand, uh, and I see you. Like I, I see how this is valuable. I see how it breaks silos. I see how it doesn't carry the the baggage of sales and marketing and who is getting attributed. Like it's it's your fault when it's something bad, and it's you know I'm getting the credits when it's something good. Creating demand the way you're talking about this all this time for me is brand building, like. For me, what you're saying is like you have been at the top of the head of the CMO. You have built a brand in her head. So when she needed you, she came to you. Just like with Coke that you're saying, Coca-Cola or Nike. Like we don't buy Nike because we go on Google and we're like, I want to buy shoes. We're like, we know we we go to the store and we buy the, the Nike ones because we want the Nike ones. And then capturing demand, for me it's the whole world of growth marketing. So and by the way, this doesn't like, it's not going against, we're talking about terms here. Yeah. It's, it's, it's about the whole useless, I would say, conversation between mostly marketers, I would say, with the definitions of the terms. But would you say, <laughs> would you say that creating demand would be brand building and capturing demand would be growth marketing? Cause that's how I see it.
0: I think that, uh, brand building is a sub function of creating demand. Nice. I
1: would do it the other way
0: around, but let's let's talk through before you ever go and buy Nikes, you have to decide that you want shoes. Mm -hmm. And so if you don't need shoes, then you would never think about buying Nike, right? So the brand actually comes after the category. And so you have this entire thing about like, I need people to buy into the idea like 2019 was rolling around, like companies weren't thinking about lead gen versus demand gen. Companies weren't thinking that their attribution systems weren't effectively working. Companies weren't thinking about dark social and what that means for their business and their customers. These are concepts and ideas that are true that we've wrapped packaging around so that people understand them and can clearly use them, which then created the lead in for companies to consider my company, right? And so I, I see these as sub functions where you need to get someone to buy into the type of company that you are you have to design what type of company you actually are right so the first thing design what type of company you actually are you want to be a commodity player in the crm market be my guest you want to think about how and good luck yeah and good yeah seriously (laughs) and good luck or you want to think about how are we gonna go and get instead of making a a, the 150th me too product in the crm category how are we going to go out there collect customer insights design a product and a company and a vision and a roadmap that meets customer needs today. That's highly differentiated that we build a new category around. Then we create demand for that category. So people that used to want to buy X now want to buy Y, right? So you ship, you, you move demand from one thing to another, just like from forms to chatbots and all the other times that this happened, you move demand over there and then you're the brand that's sitting in plain sight and the product. So I sort of I I like thinking about it in like that sort of process solely because of the fact that like I'm not I don't care how much drift markets their brand. I'm not in the market to buy a chatbot. I'm not in the market to buy their product, right? So no matter how hard they market that, you know, if you're a big company, oh, like we help the environment and we had this great employee event and all these different things. If I don't want to buy your product, then I'm like, those things are nice. It might make me think something about you, but it's unlikely to drive a business outcome that you're looking for. But when you will want the chatbot, this is the
1: whole game here because maybe you want, but if you, or if somebody uh, asks you, like, hey, I'm looking into chatbots. This is when the whole, what's yours? No, thinking? not quite. Okay, this is gonna okay. be fun. It's gonna be helpful Let's for go. people. Yeah.
0: The problem is that I don't want a chatbot. You know what I mean? And so Drift, instead of saying, hey, we're Drift, blah, 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 blah. They need to get me to wanna buy the category. And they're not doing it. Like their they're, their marketing has been pretty, like I, I haven't heard anything from them in years. You know what I mean? And so like, if they want to be successful, they need to go out there and teach marketers about why they need to use these things now. Because there was an inflection point; there were people use them, they, and then it's, it's declining from what I can see. I go on websites and I don't see this shit anymore because it's really it's annoying, yeah. right? And so they got to re they have to like rethink their product. And I'm not over here doing a consulting session for Drift. I could do this on any company, but like that it's an example that shows that like. Until somebody shows me why a good use case for why I would use a chatbot, I'm never gonna consider drift. And then you can be you can either be the company, right? As the company, you can create demand, which is the most powerful position that you can be in, is you have control over the amount of net new buyers that are entering buying cycles at any point, or you can sit there and wait and hope that one of my colleagues tells me about how their new use case for this chatbot is working, where you have no control over the demand. You have no control over what company is being recommended. A lot of companies are doing that right now. They're living off the demand that's created through dark social word of mouth channels, but not driving it. Mm-hmm. OK,
1: I see your your perspective here.
0: And by the way, yeah, it's, it's semantics, it, by the way. No, no, <laughs> yeah. no,
1: it's very important because one thing that you said here about, you know, chatbots being annoying, it's it's objective, uh, you know, it's <laughs> I don't fully agree, but I also don't disagree uh, to to be, and usually I have a very uh, hard stance. So usually I would either agree or disagree with you, Uh, (laughs) but uh, yeah, okay. Now I see how you're defining demand, uh, creating demand differently to brand building because you're creating demand for the category, um, which is beyond, uh, it's different than brand building only. Um, Okay good let's talk about attribution because you talked a lot about ip creation at the at the very beginning Uh, and then you mentioned a lot about touch points actually you didn't mention a lot but i've heard uh that's my interpretation of what you said um like you create ip through a lot of touch points from my point of view uh, which helps with brand building but that's let's not go there Um, but how do we measure all these things because Measuring ROI and like the typical Facebook ads, how much did we spend, how much did we make is pretty straightforward and easy, like the performance marketing stuff. But measuring demand creation um, is not as easy and straightforward or is not a very common idea uh, in the digital yeah, world.
0: Uh, just one point on, on the IP, like my company creates intellectual property that can be an asset for businesses through the execution at scale of more than 100 B2B companies over the past two and a half, three years. And so it's not about necessarily the touch points or attribution, it's that we're coming up with net new concepts, ideas, frameworks, benchmarks, processes that help companies be more successful because of our scale and how we operate. And when you look at how companies do this internally, they do an experiment with an N of one, they just do an experiment on themselves. Right. And when you just do an experiment inside of your own company, it's prone to you know, data analysis measurements. It's prone to not having enough time. It's prone to biases inside of your business or inside of your industry or something like that. It's prone to uh, not being executed properly. So you, you're doing this experiment that feels scientific, but is very much art. But when you pull that out and it goes from you're doing this little experiment in your company to there are 50 companies running a a similar experiment with standardized measurements that, you know, when it says pipeline that all 50 companies are defining pipeline in the same way, then you see patterns, then you do science, then you run data science and you say, okay, like we're seeing these trends over here or, you know, everyone's pipeline is down in the first week of the quarter. Like it's not about, it's not marketing's fault, the pipeline's down in your business. Like if you were an N of one, you might think that marketing's not working when pipeline goes down in the first week. When you look at it over 50 companies, you can see, oh, this is a market trend. You know, 89% of companies have their pipeline down. And that's what my company is focused on advancing now is that if you look at it at a broader scale across the larger data set, not data sets of users or leads, a data set of companies, and looking at it holistically, not against like, what's the conversion rate on this landing page, looking at it against the entire revenue process against revenue. You can, you can advance the science of manufacturing revenue simply by just doing it in a more effective way. Medicine did the same thing in the 19, early 1900s, doctors just like did basically did experiments on people and the, and the, the, the quality of doctor drove the outcome. And then over time they realized, hey, like actually what we need to do is we need to get a bunch of people in this room. We need to do this in a standardized way. We need to have the right set of measurements so that we can advance the science. So that, and then medicine has gone through an incredible amount of advancement over the past almost 100 years since that happened. And so I'm, I'm proposing that marketing go through a similar process where right now it's anecdotal. There's no standardized measurement. They're running individual experiments thinking that it's science when it's really art. And trying to figure out how do we back up how do we look at the data in a much more broad way to generate ip that helps the entire the entire profession that was sort of a tangent so i want to get on to your question um, no
1: no it was perfect because what you what i understood when you said we are helping uh, companies i understood that you are helping companies build IP for themselves um, which is something different and maybe you do that as well, but this is a different thing. And you very we well, build did... IP
0: that come that any company can use in their business that has the same dynamics as the companies that we study on.
1: Yeah. Which is something different from what I understood. So very, very good that you clarified that. Uh, I want to challenge it a little bit though. Uh, just, just for the sake of the conversation. Please, yeah. It'll be fun. Yeah. You mentioned like across 50 companies versus like, you know, one company on its own. I would, disagree with that saying it's about the amount of data points you know if that company is Google or Apple they have more data points than you know the 50 companies that uh, you're working with that have less data points meaning for me it's not about the variety of the businesses but it's the um, the the data points because Facebook uh, not sorry Google and Apple have essentially I don't know a thousand different um, uh, categories and verticals like they can test that now uh, different industries would be a different conversation if you want to test something and validate something uh, that has in completely different industries and i see the value of one company that doesn't have a lot of data points and then you go uh, and you're like okay you have i don't know a million data points and now we have 50 million obviously the patterns and everything you said will be more obvious on the 50. Um, but then you can have Salesforce, which probably has more data points than 50 B2B companies combined, right?
0: It's, it's, it's still an art. Like in your instance, it's still an art. You know what I mean? It's the idea that like if you're a doctor, do, like treating a patient and that patient gets better when you treat them and you, then you assume that that treatment is going to make all patients better it's not right. It's a. It's an anecdote. Okay. It's a sample.
1: I mean, but if you have a, But if you have a million patients,
0: the idea is that it, the bias that's introduced from just having one set, like one physician doing it or one company doing it, is that that's it can it's what's happening right now and then you have companies out there i read it in rev pavilion and i read it in dave gerhardt's community i read them everywhere i read them on linkedin all, all the places you don't believe in this here's what we did and we measured it and our website traffic went up by 37 percent and our we got you know five thousand leads and woo blah 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 and then you got people out there that maybe don't define lead the right way. Maybe are trying to optimize for revenue, not leads. There's so many different dynamics that the anecdote that just then gets to try to get transferred to another company is not repeatable. And that's the only way that marketing innovation is happening right now is through these micro anecdotes from one company to another that are typically non transferable. And so when you look at it at a set of 50 companies, you can you can have a lot more confidence, right? If you just think about the statistics, you can have a lot more confidence that if this worked at 40 companies to drive revenue, and we're seeing that in either a standardized way to do attribution or a standardized way to do this, then we can deduce that this will, and then you could be even go even further and say, okay, these 40 companies, what's similar about them? Why didn't it work for the 10 companies? Was it just like, was it standard deviation? Was there a reason you could start to do more of the science? So that's sort of my, I think it, it, uh, Technically both can work, but the degree of confidence should be much higher, right? And the second thing is like you gave the Salesforce example. I, I interact with pretty much every company that tries to run the Salesforce playbook at their hundred person company and it fails completely because you're not Salesforce. You know what I mean? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah,
1: yeah. yeah. I agree with you. When you're not Salesforce, of course, you you cannot do that. Um, but yeah, I, I see now what you're saying. So essentially if we think about it from a growth marketing perspective, which is my, my my perspective, is you get way better experiments to run because you have extracted them. Like these ideas to run these experiments are coming from way more data points, way more different angles, way more businesses. Versus, but
0: you still need to run them for your business because you it doesn't. St- you still need to do both. There's still an art and a science. But right now, there if you if you define science as large-scale company sizes there's none of that happening right now and there are some things that are like you know do this to your landing page and your conversion rate will get better that are stuck points that were created in 2012 that marketers still use in their head not ever challenging that that whether that point is right or not and so there's an element of like like myth busting could be like one big thing but there's another thing of like Here's a blanket assumption proven by data, just like the idea that if you treat a a patient that has a you know whatever and you treat them with this thing, then you know ninety you know ninety five percent confidence interval they're going to get better. You could have the exact same statistical confidence to make that move, which right now executives don't have. They have no statistical confidence. So this is a good. I'm trying to show that this is a good thing for in house teams, right? Then you can go back and you can say here's this thing they ran it at 40 companies we've been trying to say that we've wanted to do this podcast for three years now and now here's the data here's how to, here's how we're going to do it here's how we're going to measure it here's what we expect for outcomes let's go And so there's an there's an element of especially at the executive level. I find that mark there's a marketing and sales alignment issues, but there's a lot of just like marketing being stuck issues, like stuck in the same revolving things and not innovating solely driven by how the executives at the company think about and decide to measure the success of marketing. And so there's like, just hope, like through IP and scale, hoping to show all of these very smart, very talented executives, just a different angle about how it works today.
1: I think I would like to end the podcast on the attribution and how we measure things.
0: Yeah, I love that.
1: Yeah, before we go, there, because I think that's that's um, uh, one of the best first steps to redefine, essentially redefining success, redefining how you will promote people, how you will give them bonuses and stuff like that. But before we go there, you mentioned the like, do this on your landing page. It's going to convert 10 years old uh, little experiment somebody ran on like
0: I don't know 5000 people traffic um yeah one of those and it assumes filling out the form is success which is not true <laughs> yep and one of those
1: things that I kind of want to bring it up I don't know if you have any data points on that uh is the whole concept of uh, 999 997 or like nine pricing essentially um we have accepted that and as far as I know there is no proper um experiment done around it that proves that 1999 converts better than 20. like there is no actual data driven experiment with a good amount of uh, data across different industries across different products and so on that proves this point but we have accepted that and we are using it.
0: And that was, uh, it's interesting because as you, I, I don't have any insights onto how this came about, but my guess is that this stuff started in like the early 1900s, if not earlier, right? When cents mattered a lot more. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's, there's not that many people that are pinching pennies the same way that they did in, then during, you know, prohibition in the 1920s. It's the exact same thing right now. You just have old ideas that have never been challenged that still exist in marketing and I'm here to challenge them. I'm here to help marketers break out of these things. I'm here, so that's what I'm here for.
1: What is your personal, let's say, taste, before we go to the attribution? When I see 1999 or 1,999, I'm like, okay. Like, do you think I'm a fool or whatever? Like, I I don't like, I don't like seeing it.
0: I personally don't care.
1: You don't care? Okay. It's whatever, no. I feel like you treat your customer, your potential customer, as somebody that would be tricked from something like that. I feel like it's almost an insult to their, (laughs) to their, uh... never
0: thought about it like that.
1: (laughs) I mean, on, on your level, if you're buying B2B stuff and it's like, I don't know, 30 K or 29,999, I'm like. Yeah. (laughs) Right.
0: I'm with you there for sure. The
1: higher the, um, the size of the, of the deal, the less likely is for people to actually follow this tactic because it's yeah it's I think it's stupid but anyway let's talk about attribution let's um, let's go to this place that I believe many companies can start by redefining that you mentioned this example of uh, a new airport because I I agree with you it's, it's not really possible to just move from one to another overnight so how do we start this and How do we change? Like, what is the current attribution models that you have seen that are outdated and don't work? And what do you propose
0: instead? So I want to broaden this topic for a minute instead of thinking about it as attribution. Think about it as how we're going to measure the effectiveness of our marketing team in manufacturing revenue for our business. It broadens the topic. The first recognition that you need to make as a business is what is the right goal for our marketing team? Most companies will go their marketing team on leads MQLs really depressingly MQAs, sometimes SQLs, which can also be gamed, like basically a bunch of different metrics that have no quality control to alignment to actual sales teams outcomes. So there are ways that, and marketers are very smart and they're going to figure out, okay, I can figure out how to deliver 5,000 leads and never pay attention to anything else. And so. In terms of the goal, what we found in or in terms of driving alignment with your business in terms of manufacturing revenue, is that you need to score your marketing team on pipeline that has a consistent win rate. And so what we're doing is that you the pipeline needs to win at greater than 25%. We call that hero pipeline, which will eliminate MQAs, leads, SQLs, demo gift card, like giving away a gift card for a demo, content syndication. Most Google search will get eliminated through that. So you just see a, you, you, when you change the goal from leads to things that matter for the business, like pipeline that wins at a consistent rate, immediately the mindset has to change because the, what success used to be and where you were succeeding while your sales team was failing now makes you fail too, which is the way that it should be. And so the first, the first thing is that you need to get the two, the, if you're going to look at them as two functions, still, you need to get the two functions aligned that if one isn't going to hit their target, then neither of them are That's step one is it's getting aligned on the goals and just the, simply the way that companies think about and decide to measure by design drives misalignment between these two teams. There's nothing else to say. And it's, a, it's a problem with the executive level and that's it. So you gotta, you have to change the goal. And then if you if you move it over there the next step is to acknowledge that there are two or th- multiple parts of a revenue machine you need to create the demand and you need to capture the demand and then when you look at it in that lens what you realize is that oh our entire attribution system is built around capturing demand and measuring demand capture programs channels things like that things that are transactional direct response leading to a sales conversation completely measurable within intent channels, things like that. And then what happens is that when you do that, when you put your team in a position where they have to create demand, they create demand with the handcuffs on that it needs to be measured like demand capture, which is why it doesn't work. And so the current, like however your business wants to do the, the, the attribution for capturing demand, honestly, most companies are probably, they got it right. They got it right enough. Which is like they they can measure that effectively the problem is that they they put their marketing team on that measurement when they should have their marketing team scored on a measurement that also focuses on on creating demand so from there you recognize okay we have a gap in measurement it's not that what we're doing right now is wrong or that we should rip it out or that we should give up on it or we should change from a w shape to a u shape or all the dumb shit that people debate it's recognizing that Software-based attribution does not effectively measure capturing demand channels or or sorry, creating demand channels, or all of the elements of dark social. Word of mouth, social networks, podcasts, comments inside of a TikTok, going to an event that's not hosted by your company, get hearing about it from a CMO, seeing me you know your ceo sees me speak in a conference in belgium there's no tracking to any of this stuff but it's very impactful and you have to you have to acknowledge that we have a measurement gap we have a gap in measurement that's preventing our business from moving forward and being more successful we need to fill this gap and so we we've developed intellectual property we call it hybrid attribution that you keep using the same system you're using for capturing demand and we actually have plenty of recommendations of how to do that better using a proprietary process we call split the funnel that'll basically show you all the capture demand channels that are wasting your money and your sales team's time and you should just cut them. So you got that and then we've developed, the hybrid part of it is that you need a new part to measure What is creating the demand? We have a very simple, almost some people are like, oh, this doesn't work. It's too simple. It's like sometimes the simplest solutions are the best solutions. That's what we have here, which is that all the company's measurement data so far is things that are assumed based on first party or third party data. We assume that the customer wants to buy stuff because they filled out our form. We assume that they need this because they're on our website. When you use self-reported attribution, which is putting a field on your form where people are converting, where they have high intent to buy and they convert into opportunities at a high rate and saying, how did you hear about our business or our product? How did you hear what ours says? How did you hear about us? And then the only buyers that are passing through that are converting to meetings with our sales team at like 80 or 90%. So we're not collecting a bunch of garbage here. This is good stuff. And people will go in and some people will write a paragraph of say, I heard about you and Dave Gerhardt's Facebook group. And then I started following your CEO. And then I saw, you know, Todd on TikTok, And now I'm ready to like learn about working with you. Some people will just say LinkedIn or podcast. Nonetheless, it's giving you a data point and attributing to programs that you're not measuring effectively right now, which is why you don't do a podcast, which is why you don't think about investing in LinkedIn the way that my company does, which is why you don't do events in a recurring way. The entire strategy gets driven through how you measure success. And so you have this entire other place, which is free text field required. So no drop downs, no options, no helper text and required on this form which then give you market research data, zero party data from your customers about what typically what created the demand or what was the most impactful touch point or channel that drove them to actually come to your form and wanna talk to your sales team. And then you take both of those things and they're not competing. It's not like one's better than the other. You're looking at two different things. What created the demand and got our buyer interested in buying our product and our category and our company And what captured the demand? How did the buyer enter our pipeline in order for our sales team to talk to them? And then if you look at those two data points independently, you see, oh, like the podcast is really driving a ton of people in. And then you look and you say, oh, the people that are filling out our demo form on our website are actually converting at 40% to close one customers. But the people coming from our, our outbound ABM are 8%. The people that are coming from our low intent MQL sources are 2%. Maybe we should think about shifting how we, how we do this, right? And so that's like the high level concept of how you should think about it. So change the goal, right? Get out of the leads or get out of this intermediate step where marketing is part of an assembly line and their only job is to deliver to the next stage. And you gotta get marketing invested in the entire outcome. And I found, especially if you have a sales cycle that's greater than 60 days, the best way is to score them on a deal stage where the win rates have to be greater than 25% and stay that way. If the win rates drop below, and it used to be stage two, and the win rate goes down to 24%, guess what? Tomorrow, stage three is the goal, not stage two, until you get the win rates back up. So it it it's how you would run a manufacturing facility. If you're not hitting quality control, you're gonna you're gonna change how you measure that supplier until they prove that they can do it differently. So um, change the goal. Recognize that you need measurement for creating demand and capturing demand separately and then build the appropriate infrastructure to get those insights. And so those that's the, uh, the way I think that companies should think about measuring the effectiveness of what we call marketing today, but what we should call demand creation or the beginning stages of manufacturing revenue or something like that. And looking at it like that could be a complete transformation of a business. And if you're listening to this and you're you know, the, the 10 to 100 person startup, and you're going to go and try and run the predictable revenue play from whatever published in 2006, like maybe you should think about doing it differently. I don't know what to say. So there's like, there's, there's elements here of the idea that the, the way that this stuff works has changed because of buyers, right? The only, the only reason that I'm talking about this stuff and the only reason that it matters and the only reason why companies that listen to us and use it, whether they work with us or not, if they listen to us and use the information, get better results and send me notes is because it's right because it aligns with what their customers want.
1: It works, it's how people want to be sold, which is not, they're not. It's how how
0: people want to yes. buy. And yes. That's exactly. why I,
1: I put it like that, because people, I know, yeah, people yeah. don't want to be sold and they come to you. Uh, and that's why that works better than somebody cold calling you and annoying you, essentially. It's pull, push, everything we discussed. Great. I think we, we need to work in wrapping up, um,
0: yeah,
1: how do so. how, how does somebody start, how, how does somebody start this process? Like you, you, mentioned, let's stay into the capturing demand and creating demand. Um, how, like, what is the first step for somebody to consider and how they should think about it, whether they are hundred people or a thousand people or 10,000 people.
0: The, f- the first step that you should do is you should go and talk to 25 of your current customers that pay you that are the highest usage or high most successful or highest paying, however you decide, and then you should go and talk to 25, and I'm, arbitrary numbers, you decide what you need, but at least seven. You go and talk to 25 people that are your lowest end customers that either pay you the least or use the least, have the highest churn rate, something like that. You see what the differences are. You go out to the market and you understand. Okay, how do customers that are not our how do how are prospective customers that are not paying us money right now? How do those people prefer to buy? Do qualitative research, then using the qualitative research, which is broad and open-ended, to inform quantitative research. Then you could do a survey, you could do other things, which then will give you a good sense about how your customer wants to buy, and that is step one. It's so crazy how many people skip that and they get right into the tactics. And like, so there's key elements. Like if you go and do this to your buyers, you'll find things that are unique to that customer that gives you a massive competitive advantage. When we were in this medical, when we, I was, we were selling into hospitals, the insight that before the customer ever wanted to talk to our sales team, they wanted to talk to a peer at another facility that they trust that uses our product before fundamentally changes your entire go-to-market strategy. You got 50 sales reps, you got 10 SDRs, you got a marketing team, you got million being spent on your commercial team with this one insight, it would shift everything that you did from let's have our SDRs call into hospitals to try and book meetings for our sales team that currently went at 4% from the meeting to the close. It's a waste of time to what if we had not our SDR, but we had our CSM get connected with our prospective customer, connect them with the best customer in their territory and let that process get started that way, it can fundamentally changes what you do. And so like before you get into any tactics, I think it's like st- you gotta start with your customer.
1: I love this and I love how simple it sounds. It's a little bit harder in practice, <laughs> um, but it's something that you don't need 10 years experience to, to do it, right? Like talking to a customer, mm-hmm. understanding them, it's a very basic human, um how to call it human behavior skill if you if you're a good listener you can do that maybe read um the mom test i don't know if you know this chris but the mom test essentially is a great book into doing what you just said fantastic i love this i don't know how you feel about the episode but i think there is a lot of value in it and um we touched some things that are very interesting and
0: yeah, it was a great, great conversation. If anyone, uh, would love to, uh, like to, you know, connect with me or learn more or engage or, or whatever the state of demand gen podcast is, uh, is available on Apple, Spotify and other podcast platforms. My, uh, my LinkedIn handle is Chris Walker one seven one. And, uh, if you're listening to this and you loved it, would love to shoot me a note on, on LinkedIn and let me know why. And if you didn't like it or you thought some points I I would also love that too because the customer insights whether they're positive or negative or insights nonetheless and help me adjust my strategy so um, whether positive or negative would love to hear from you
1: fantastic I was going to ask you that but but you did it already so fantastic thanks a lot for your time Chris I'll I'll see you on LinkedIn in the DMs in the emails um, and uh, keep in touch thanks Jacob thanks a lot I really appreciate your time
0: catch you soon man bye Hey everyone! Really appreciate you tuning into this episode of the State of Demand Gen podcast. And I just wanted to take a second to say to all of the listeners out there, we just crossed over forty thousand listeners across the world to this podcast, and so super grateful and super happy that for all of you, really appreciate you tuning in, attending the live events, engaging on the LinkedIn content, and now watching us get started up and engaging on YouTube and TikTok, and so. Thank you, thank you, thank you to all of you. And if you haven't already, if you've gotten value from the podcast, I would really appreciate it if you could go to Apple Podcasts in the review section of this podcast and leave a quick review or a rating. It would mean a lot to me. Thank you very much and we'll see you for the next episode.